What's going on, my friends? It is Cooper. Welcome to Cooperville Podcast. This one being brought to you by Country Fest in Cadott, Wisconsin, coming up July 27th through the 29th. By the way, this is your last chance to get tickets online before gate prices start Monday, June 24th, and they still have seats available in the all-new Lure Lock Top Tier Lounge, brand new, making its debut this year at Country Fest 2019. Luxury seated deck. Elevated eight feet off the ground includes a private lounge space, all-you-can-eat-and-drink beverages and food, and I believe you get your own waitress as well. Or waiter. You know, they're not biased. Still got some VIP seats available as well, up close and personal with all the artists. Get your meals, you get your beverages, air-conditioned bathrooms, VIP parking. Still a few seats available. And pit passes, by the way, start at just 5 bucks. That's super close and super personal with your favorite artist at Country Fest 2019. Lastly, don't forget to download the free Country Fest 2019 app available for your Android or Apple device. You can enter to win prizes, register your wristbands, schedule out shows, compete in photo challenges, and much more. Grab that app. Countryfest.com is the website. Super stoked for this episode of the podcast. Met this man many occasions, seen him live many occasions, envious of his beard, but he is a genuine, true-to-life good human being. Matt Dorito from Pop Evil on the episode, and it starts now. Welcome to Cooperville. Do you know what's fun to do in Cooperville? Pack up your shit and get the fuck out. Listen. www.welcometocooperville.com Who the fuck says www anymore? I can't even say it. www. Stop that. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast. On demand anywhere quality podcasts are available. And some places where cheap podcasts are available. And the local gas station has some. Subscribe. Get updates. Feel better about your life. Welcome to Cooperville.com. Welcome to Cooperville. Make sure you use a coaster. The wife gets upset when we leave rings on the tables. They say when you have, uh, when your hobby becomes your job, that you got to find other hobbies. Matt Dorito uh, turned his hobby into his passion and his life and his career and then found 3,500 other hobbies to keep him entertained uh, in his free time. Matt, my friend, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate being here. So you, uh, I want to get uh, take you back to the take you back to the beginning when uh, when music first interjected itself into your life because I always I always find it fascinating to uh, hear like you know where did the original you know sound come from or, or artists that you saw and you said this is something I can see myself maybe creating a life out of. Who was that person for you over that song or that? Well, I, I don't know that there was one in particular that mm-hmm. made me say, like, I, I, I could do this for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that, like, Trent Reznor, Marilyn Manson, Twiggy, yeah. like, they were huge influences at me. Like, that, it was just, like, it hit at the right age for me and everything. And it was, like, you know, a typical pissed-off teenager. <laughs> like, it just worked. Um, and it wasn't later until I had, you know, figured like I could do something like this for, for a living. You know, it, it was one of those things where like, as it became clearer, the reality of it grew and, and uh, yeah, it just kind of ran with it. Was there somebody, uh, you know, when you pick up a bass guitar in particular that 
you know, you, when you start to, you know, find that instrument and start to watch musicians and other musicians, was there somebody that you were like, I want to be like that motherfucker right there. Like, that's my guy. I actually, I just watched everybody. Yeah. Like I, I, um, you know, I would try to pick up anything that I could from everyone, uh, you know, like local guys at at my school and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd watch their fingers when they play and then I'd go home and I would try to like recreate that same thing or I'd Mm -hmm. watch music videos and see what their fingers were doing and how they were playing and how it sounded and try to do the same thing. And that was just kind of how I learned, um, you know, imitating people. Um, but I don't think there was one in particular where I was like, yeah, I want to be like that dude or Mm -hmm. be that guy in particular. It was like everyone that I, that I looked up to as a, as a bass player, they, they typically had like one facet of, you know, what I was interested in. It was like, oh man, this guy looks really cool on stage, but he's not a very good player. Or this guy is a, a great player, but I uh, can't write a song to save his life. Or, you know, right. it was like, just try to kind of pick and choose little things from people and absorb little nuggets here and there. Uh, getting in Pop Evil, um, a band who I've been a fan of since you guys busted onto the scene and it's always been such a cool story uh you know when my days in radio to follow because i mean it seems like every time a new pop evil song comes out like it's a hit you know it's it, it gravitates up the charts you know if you you know are, are a chart reader and, and you follow that logic but it, it it grew in this you know every it seems like every album that came out um you guys came out swinging hard and heavy and um a lot of that you know, kind of independently done, you know, without this, you know, major backing and major push and labels. And, you know, I know you got a great team behind you and always have with the G caps who, uh, you know, I uh, continually take my hat off to those gents. And, but, you know, where does, where does the band find that drive, you know, to keep on coming out, keep on hitting it heavy and, and really with every song and every tour and every, you know, live performance, just crush it. First of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, and, you know, you're right. We do have a great team around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only that, but like our team consists of a lot of very different people, not just people in the band, but, you know, our management and everyone else. Like um, we all have very different points of view. And I think part of our success up to this point has been like getting the other side of the coin and, and, and uh, you know, having having difficult conversations where, you know, it's like, we may not all feel the same way about mm-hmm. moving in a, a certain direction or a certain song or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but we're far enough in our career where we can like sit down and talk to each other like adults, which is, um, which is nice. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> a lot of times you don't really get that, with, um, you know, in this industry, you get a lot of egos and stuff like that. And that's, you know, I'm thankful that we're still able to like, talk to each other like human beings so i think that's that's a big part of it the other thing um i'd have to say is like our timing you know like we uh it's funny because sometimes you know and um i'm sure people are gonna hate me for saying this but it feels like we're like the biggest little band Mm -hmm. sometimes i don't mean that necessarily in a bad way or anything like that it's just like you know a Five years before us, like, you know, a lot of people were getting a, a ton more radio play and stuff. And then it was like, we kind of hit the hit the scene and, and we were like 
the last one to kind of catch that before everything turned over, you know, not everything, but the majority of things turned into, you know, streaming and there were different options. Right. Right. So, um, it always felt like we were kind of stuck, you know, Mm -hmm. like we didn't catch that big tidal wave of like terrestrial radio and, and, um, but we were some of the pioneers as far as like satellite radio and stuff like that. Some of the first artists to get, get played on that kind of stuff. Um, so we've always felt like we've never been mega huge, but never been mega small. Right. Um, and it's kind of, it gives us that drive to, to go out there and like maintain that or, or push that, you know? And, and it's actually cool too, because the reason I say it's not in a bad way is like, we can go out and like, we're about to, we'll go do direct support for disturbed Mm -hmm. And then we'll go out with, uh, you know, Skillet and Seven Dust for the rest of the summer. And we can still do, like, smaller gigs, too. Right. You know, we can do arenas, sheds, uh, amphitheaters, and then also do small clubs. And, you know, it's fun to be able to move move the show from that big stage to a small stage to, you know, figuring it out and how you're going to perform and different things. Dude, we went out last weekend, and I had one of the best times that I've had in a long time. It was just this crazy sold-out show, little bar across the lake. You know, it was like a bar with a venue attached to it. And you play some of those rooms, and it's just like the energy coming off is insane. And and I wouldn't want to give that up for anything. You know, I I feel bad for uh, some of these bands that only do arenas, you know, cause they, they don't ever get that feeling back of yeah. just like a small intimate thing. And I think that's why you see some bigger artists do like pop-up shows and, in small venues like that too, is to, to get that feeling back. But man, there's nothing like that. And I've seen you in all, uh, in all size of places, um, you know, on main stages at festivals where you have 25,000 people into a uh, smaller club venues where, uh, at one point I think the, um, one of the last shows that, that we saw you at on, on that scale um, was over in Menominee. And you, mm. you, there was an incident, uh, and my wife, I was just talking to her about it because we were, we were reminiscing on, on the times that we've uh, interacted in the last you know five or six years. And it was the first show uh, with Haley. And so my wife was going off about how Haley gives her lady wood. And I was like, can you go a little more in depth with this story? <laughs> oh, shit. I got to talk to Matt in, in a little bit, you know. Uh, <laughs> we'll bring her on. Yeah, okay. Come, come on it. down, honey. Let's talk. Let's let's go in depth. Let's go one on one. But you had you had the risers on the stage and, and you had jumped off of one and your hair got caught in the fucking sprinkler head on mm-hmm. top. And you mm-hmm. you, were, you continued to play. And I think it was uh, it was I teen or somebody came out and with, you're still playing and not, you know, obviously not trying to headbang or anything. And he's just untangling your hair from the sprinkler <laughs> head. And I was like, man, that's, you know, but you still have that. And I think it, tangible is a word I've used a lot when I talk about artists and, and the fan base, because there are artists that, that, People go and they see, you know, they're the big bands, they're the headliners, um, but there always seems to be a a wall between the fan and the band. You know, you're you're kind of there uh, watching the spectacle. When I think you see a Pop Evil show, really on any level, if you see see you on the big stage or you see you guys uh, in a smaller club venue like that, like you're real to the fans. Like you you are you're this 
human that will come out and, and talk to them. And I know you do these really small, intimate meet and greets where it's not this line of people like herding mm-hmm. cattle through like, okay, next, take your picture next. You know, you, you guys really, mm-hmm. you know, try to spend some time with it. So I, I can feel how that would be energizing uh, to you guys to be able to still go out and play these venues where, you know, you can reach your hand out, you know, in front of the barricade and, and, you know, give people high fives and, you know, there's sweat flying back and forth from fans to, to the band. That's, that's gotta be that, you know, that conduit that keeps rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Well, man, you know, rock and roll is chaos, right? It's, it's unpredictable. And that's what those shows are. You you get curveball, curveballs, you get your hair stuck in the ceiling, (laughs) you get, you know, stuff, you know, spilled on stage, people Mm. falling over fights, whatever it is, figuring out how to make your show work in in a small area. And that's just like, that's, that's what it is. You know, it's, it's a fight. Like it's, yeah. and, uh, I, I love that about it. I love that chaos. Is that what keeps you fit? Are you, I'm not sure if you're a workout guy or not, but is it the, uh, you know, the 2,500 calories a night that you burn on stage or are you, uh, are you active in your gym rat? Are you doing anything like that? Man, I used to yeah. when, um, you know, when Chachi was yeah. still in the band, he was obviously like a big CrossFitter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, around the time that I got sober, he got me into CrossFit and him and I would partner up, you know, buddy up and, and go work out together. And then he just kind of like way surpassed me to where I think I, I was probably slowing him down a little bit <laughs> going to the gym <laughs> with him. So, uh, it, it just kind of tapered off. Yeah. Um, now I'm on a healthy diet of, you know, cigars and coffee and <laughs> pretty much it, no sleep. And, uh, and that's how we do it. You know, I've been looking for that diet, you know, my whole life, and I, I think I, found, I got the coffee part of it, and, and the cigars are upstairs. So, but it's good. I want to, you know, uh, when you talk about uh, being sober, um, I know that was, you know, rock and roll is is so. I think you mentioned chaos. You know, it's a it's a chaotic world. Um, a lot of it has uh, in in imagery around it. Um, I think when you know, obviously you being, you know, an intricate part of the fabric of, of the format and of that genre, um, and me kind of having some insight from 20 years in radio, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not all that, you know, it's not all the dirt, you know, it's not all the, it's not all Motley Crue, um, all the time, but there are, obviously there's excess, there's access. Um, and when those two things, you know, interject, you know, with one another, um, you know, it can, it can not only ruin people's lives, but careers and other people's lives. I mean, we've seen documents or documentaries and stories about all that. Um, but your journey into sobriety, um, tell me about, you know, what was there a moment that kind of you said, all right, this is when I take the turn. You know, there's you're, you're at the fork in the road, you know, and you say, okay, mm-hmm. well, there's there's this path, which obviously when I look behind me, there's maybe a little bit of a trail of destruction or there's this, <laughs> this is path where I can you know, move forward with, uh, with my life, with my career in a, in a different way. Yeah. The, um, you know, there was a moment, mm-hmm. there was a, a definite moment and, um, and I'm not going to say it was rock bottom, you know, cause I had definitely been worse off. Um, but you know, j- just to give a little backstory, it's mm-hmm. like everything you said about like the rock and roll culture is true. I mean, if you want it, it's there. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for it, you'll find it much like if, if I'm not looking for it now, I don't ever see it. Um, you know, stuff just doesn't come my way. Uh, it's, you know, you attract whatever you're looking for, I guess. But, um, you know, I, had never really partied growing up or anything Mm -hmm. like that. I didn't drink in high school. I think I had my 
first beer when I was 21 or something. And, uh, you know, just regular stuff like that. I worked in a shop and, and, um, you know, was trying to make this band thing work for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, when I started touring, I didn't know how long it was going to last. You know, it was like, we got to this point where I was gone so much and working so little that, you know, my job was just like, you know, you gotta, you gotta pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. And so I went with music and I thought, well, let's see how long this lasts. You know what I mean? And, uh, kind of had the, the mentality of like, live it up while you can. So thinking like I might come back home in three months or six months and have to go back to a regular job. I was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to make the most of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like it was expected of you too. You know, like yeah. people come to, to a show and, and they want, uh, they want a release. And, you know, in, in the early days, you know, you mentioned earlier that we still, you know, talk to fans and stuff mm-hmm. like that too. It's, you know, not every show can I come out after the show and, and talk with people. And, um, but we still do try to make a habit of that. But, you know, in the early days it was like, you get off the stage and go straight to the bar. Right. And then people want to buy you drinks and, and do this and do that. And, uh, it's very easy to overindulge because they want to live through you in a sense of mm-hmm. like, wow, I want to party with that guy. Cause like, you know, his whole life is a party. And, uh, whereas they may go out, you know, once a week or once a month to go let loose, you're having to do it night after night after night. Um, so it's very easy to run away with that. Um, especially, you know, when like money's tight and, that seems to be the only free thing that comes your way is people want to buy you drinks and party with you. Mm. So, um, you know, I went down that road for years and, and, uh, you know, I saw the toll that it took on my family and people around me and, and myself and my relationships with everybody. Mm. And, um, I attempted to quit a few times with like no real, intention of stopping for good like i would stop for two months at a time and then i'd go back and say well i'm only gonna drink beer or i'm only gonna you know i'm only gonna drink clear you know like vodka and you know no whiskeys <laughs> yeah. I, I tried that yeah. a few times none of it worked because as soon as i had you know four or five drinks in me all the rules went out the window anyway so it was devil's night 2013 <clears throat> I had, um, I had gotten in a scuffle that night with, uh, one of my bandmates and, you know, our tour manager at the time. And, uh, I, in that I had broken my tour manager's glasses. So I wake up the next day, I'm sorry, I wake up on devil's night and, uh, I realize what I'd done. Of course I feel terrible and all that. And, um, I go up to our tour manager at the time and, I'm like, hey, here's some money for, for your classes. I'm sorry I broke those. And, uh, you know, dude, I'm really sorry about last night. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And I was like, no, 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 dude, you don't get it. Like, I, I really feel terrible. And he's like, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, it's fine. And he just kind of brushed me off. Hmm. And that was the moment for me. Because I realized that my word didn't mean anything anymore. Like, I had gotten messed up, done stupid things so many times and then apologize for it and repeated the cycle that, you know, my word just genuinely didn't mean anything. And that's what really cut me. Um, 
you know, I didn't want to be that person because if you ask any of us, like in our sober frame of mind, like, would you ever purposely hurt the people that you care about? You know, of course the answer is no, you know? Um, but that's exactly what I was doing. I was getting, allowing myself to get to a point where I was hurting the people around me, um, saying I was sorry, but then doing it again, putting myself in that position again. And, you know, it's, when you drink, you're still responsible for all of your actions and stuff. So, um, so I just decided then, you know, that I was going to, um, prove myself again and, and say like, listen, if I'm, if I, if I'm really sorry about what I did, then I'm going to do everything in my power not to let it happen again. And that was sort of my frame of mind and, and, um, didn't tell anyone I was getting sober or anything like that. I, I just figured, you know, I'm going to prove it through my actions. Mm. That's the only way to do it, you know, like to get, to get my word back and, and, um, was just to, to prove to him that I would never do that to him again. What's the clarity been like since that, that moment? Um, you know, I, you know, we're, we're from being from Wisconsin. Um, you know, I think I had my first beer when I was probably nine, you know, it was, you know, sitting on Sounds grandpa's, right. Yeah. He was like, here's a Walter. You're going to be, you'll be fine. You know, we're big Irish Catholic family. So that, you know, <laughs> we were uh, wrecked from the get go. Um, but you know, it became so much, it was so much a part of our culture. And I watched, um, I think not realizing it until much later in life of the things I was experiencing, um, in, you know, how our, my family operated and the outside world and in this culture that it, it just, it seemed so normal. Like, well, yeah, when you, after you mow the lawn, you have a beer and then after, you know, you, then you, maybe you have six and, oh, it's a beautiful day outside. You, you know, there, all these things became associated with, with drinking, uh, growing mm -hmm. up. Um, you know, so I think when you, when you find, you know, that clear moment when you're like, oh shit, like it's, it's the fork in the road, which direction are we going? Are we the clarity for you now, since that moment, I mean, is, it, it seems like you kind of got life by the by the biggins. Yeah, definitely. You know, like the, the list of things that I've been able to accomplish since, um, you know, giving that part up, it's, it's been tremendous, mm -hmm. you know, because I've had time on my hands where I have to make choices, you know, yeah. where I can't just, uh, you know, go out and hide. And, um, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with people that do drink and, and make that a, a part of their lifestyle. It's, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not here to bash anyone else, but, um, you know, for me, it was just, it was never something that I really indulged in. It wasn't a, a part of the way of my life before touring. Right. Um, I never had those casual beers of like, oh, I'm going to get home from work and crack a couple beers and, you know, hang out and watch TV. Right. It was, um, it was purely associated with like, it's go time, it's party. Right. Like I'm, I'm drinking to get drunk and that's it. And that was the only way I could drink. But yeah, you, you know, I've, I've had the, I've had, had the clarity, I guess, to, mm -hmm. um, you know, pick up and start a few businesses outside of, uh, the band and, um, you know, really get back in tune with the things that I love and things that I, you know, make me happy and I enjoy doing and are therapy for me when I, mm -hmm. when I get off the road, you know, I love working with my hands and building things and, uh. And that's a, just a huge part of um, 
my creative outlet that I don't necessarily get when I'm on stage and, and touring and stuff like that. I like to go lock myself in a workshop and just build stuff. Yeah. It doesn't seem like uh, in, in meeting you know many people over uh, a long time in, in rock radio, there doesn't seem like there's very many card-carrying members of the NRA in rock and roll. Yeah, I'm not, you know, there's there's a few I you know that I you know, maybe can think of, but you know, where did your uh, draw to 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 guns? When did that interject itself into your life? Because um, it, it really seems like something that you uh, that has become maybe more than a hobby. You know, it's 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 kind of a part of 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 who who Matt is. Uh, when, when was the when was the moment in life when that kind of became you know a part of you? Uh, I think I've always had that since I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's with Nerf guns or, or whatever. Yeah. I've always been drawn to that kind of stuff and shooting BB guns when I was young. Um, but I, I didn't really get into actual guns cause I didn't know that much about them. Mm -hmm. Um, until later in life, uh, I had, you know, guns pulled on me at, at an early age and had been, uh, shot at when I was younger. And, um, you know, so I, I always had like a healthy fear of guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to a point where, <clears throat> I don't know, I looked at myself one day and was like, you know what, I'm an adult. Like I can go just because I, I haven't grown up around them that much. Doesn't mean I can't go out and, and learn something and own one, you know? And, and, uh, so I just started researching and learning everything that I could. And I was like, my intention was to buy one. I was like, well, I'll find, you know, the right one and then that's it. And that's all I'll ever need. And then, you know, I go out to the range and shoot with someone else and pick up something different and be like, oh, wow, what is this? And oh, cool, man. Yeah. Like, I like the, I like this part about that. And, you know, slowly grew from there. So, um, yeah, you know, I'd say at first it's fair to say that, uh, I had just become a collector, Mm -hmm. you know, learning, about different guns and, you know, purchasing them, going out to the range and blinking and stuff like that. Um, and then I, I got to dive a little bit deeper, you know, like I've, I've met some amazing people out on the road and, um, people who, who can really teach you what it's like to empower yourself, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a big part of what I believe in, you know, yep. uh, you know, the, the culture that surrounds it. Um, so it's, it's a lifestyle, you know, it's yeah. like, I, I don't ever have one not on me. Um, and, and it's not because I'm scared. It's not because I'm paranoid. It's because, uh, it's, it's one of our rights that, um, you know, is sort of getting muffled and pushed off to the side. And I think that, uh, it's my, duty as a as a patriotic american to exercise that right mm-hmm. and you know as soon as we stop exercising those things it, it gets easier to take them away um and it's important you know yeah. that's that's how our, our country was founded was um people standing up to the people in charge and the only way they could do that was <laughs> with guns you yeah. know that's why it's built into our constitution if um if the government gets too big or too crazy or too tyrannical if that day were to ever come uh you know as a society we're supposed to be able to take the power back yeah. and that's 100 uh, percent why that was put into place um 
And so I don't believe that disarming the society in any manner is ever the right choice. And it's not to say that like carrying one is for everyone or that everyone's got to own them. Everyone in this world is, has different, you know, different things that inspire them. Right. Right. Like different things that motivate them. Um, different causes that, that really, uh, you know, get under their skin and, and, and they want to pursue. So, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, do things to protect the environment. Uh, you know, you've got people that want to protect things in different ways, you know, like protect the environment, protect the animals, save this, save that, look out for each other. Um, you know, and this is just a different way of looking out for each other. Some people see, um, protecting things in, in a different way. And some people are willing to kind of stand up and, and, um, take that massive bite, you know, for other people who Mm -hmm. don't want anything to do with it. When you get a chance to, to get out on the road, um, do you get much range time? I mean, is that, I mean, I, now that you have, you know, we talked about, you know, going down, uh, the sober road, um, obviously that, that does tend to give you a little more, you know, energy during the day before a show, you know, you're not sleeping until, no, nope, got to get up for sound check, you know, things like that. So you do have some, um, you know, some time to get out and explore, especially for, for, you know, a band like Pop Evil, who does get a chance to, to be on the road a lot. Um, do you get a lot of chances to, to experience different ranges and different kind of environments where you, you can u- utilize your firearm skill and knowledge? Yeah. Uh, I have been able to, a lot of it depends on the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, particular bands that we tour with are, are interested in that kind of stuff too. And, you know, we might get to do some cool tours of different mm-hmm. facilities or go to different ranges. Like when we were on tour with, um, three doors down mm-hmm. the last time, like we all went and did our, our CSAT class together, just combat shooting and tactics. And well, that's, uh, that's Mississippi rock and roll right there. Yeah. <laughs> Those boys. yeah indeed. <laughs> uh, so that was really cool, man. We did mm-hmm. that down in Louisiana mm-hmm. with some, some good friends of ours. And, uh, yeah, it's fun when I get the chance to do it. Um, you know, for a long time, I've I've been doing stuff to raise money for my charity. Where mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I'll, I'll go out, out to shooting ranges on the road as like a a one on one meet and greet. If people donate to my charity, then mm-hmm. you know, I, I go shoot with them one on one and and uh, you know, bring some fun stuff for them to shoot. And, um, a lot of people actually, it's 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 been really great because yeah. you know, for one, I get to go out shooting and and uh, helps raise money for my charity but also a lot of people that want to do this with me have never shot a gun before because you know, a lot of our fan base just isn't into it mm-hmm. um which is totally cool and and uh i've had the opportunity to go through like basic gun safety with a a, a number of first-time shooters where they go from being very timid very scared mm-hmm. having never shot a gun before never really wanting to but just kind of wanting to do the meet and greet to feeling very empowered on their way out the door like wow i can do that and you know i look at look at what i did and i want to do this again and and you know i feel so much better now like knowing a little bit about it and and knowing like the basic safety mm-hmm. of, uh, you know handling firearm yeah my uh, you know i when i grew up my grandfather was like a, a hunter safety uh, instructor obviously wisconsin michigan the, the whole this whole area Hunting is just part of life. 
You know, it's uh, I, I remember growing up in school and there would be like half of a class that would be gone because that was, you know, the week Bruce before. Day. Yeah. They were, well, they, well, it's hunting season. You know, we're not, yeah. we can't, uh, we can't be going to school when there's a, you know, there's venison to put into the, uh, into the freezer. But, um, you know, the gun culture never was really a part of my life. You know, I, I lived in the city. Um, you know, my mom moved around a lot. So we, we ended up going kind of city, smaller city to smaller city. Um, so it never was really, uh, and it's a small, these smaller communities, I think there is a sense of safety. You know, you kind of feel like, you know, we have a smaller population and there's, you know, the crime isn't something we're really concerned about. Um, you know, up until, you know, recently, um, you know, the thought of gun ownership and other, I'm, you know, I'm 100% all for it. I mean, I'm, you want to have a gun? Absolutely. But it just wasn't something that was in my wheelhouse. Um, when we had our son, you know, I think my mentality kind of changed because I became, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a scrawny kid from Wisconsin, you know, I'm not sure how much of a, you know, I mean, I'll scrap and, you know, if he's put in danger or my wife the same way, but, you know, that's only going to get you so far. Um, mm-hmm. My wife uh, was up north uh, several years ago uh, with a couple of friends of hers and they ended up taking her to a gun range for her first time ever. Like she's never really experienced, uh, um, especially using a handgun. Um mm-hmm she sent me a video of like her first shot ever. And it was like dead on balls accurate. And I said, we have two options here. Um, We're going to become a gun owning family and I'm going to learn to zigzag because damn, (laughs) I mean, she she was like, I mean, soda can boom. Um, And so she's been up several times. So it's something I think that um, there's an evolution. I think that happens, uh, with some people where you're, you're not anti, you're not against it, but all of a sudden you start to understand, um, the necessity for it and kind of, you know, and the culture that's behind it. And, and then obviously going through the proper steps to learn how to, to use them safely. And, and I think they're, you know, something our family will, that's it, going to be a part of, uh, of who we are. If it happens organically like that, that's great, man. Mm-hmm. And you know, like for some people it will never happen yeah. and, and that's fine too. You know, it's, uh, it's it's everyone's choice, and the last thing that I would want is someone owning a, owning or carrying a gun because they have to, right? That, right. You know that doesn't want to. Um, but you know it's it's funny you say that about your wife too, and and it's uh, it's totally accurate with the majority of women mm-hmm. that I take out shooting for the first time. Um, their very first shot is like dead on bullseye. Like Haley, you know, she's from the UK, never held a gun before in her life. Within like the first week she was in America, I, I had taken her out to the gun range. And she's a good sport about it. She doesn't really, you know, she's not really into it. Right. But she went with me that one time and her first shot was like dead on bullseye. And it's because, you know, women are good listeners. Mm-hmm. Like, they, you know, if you tell them how to do something properly, they're not going to grab it. And, you know, there's no ego involved where you know, a guy picks up a gun for the first time and he's like, Oh, I should, I should know how to shoot this. Cause I'm a guy, you know, they'll take the time, go through the steps, listen to what you have to say. And the biggest thing is they're not, they don't know what to expect when they pull the trigger. As soon as you start getting an idea of what to expect, mm-hmm. like what the recoil is, um, then you start to fight it. But usually that very first shot, you're not fighting it cause you don't know what to, what to expect. So it ends up being like, a, a dead on bullseye and then some sometimes can stray from there and then come back around to it, you know? Um, but it's really cool. And, um, you know, that's, that's another thing too, is like, and, 
you know, the Second Amendment and women's rights go hand in hand, dude, right. like big time. Um, uh, it, it's done more to empower women and, you know, they call it the great equalizer for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's insulting when people, you know, send their wife or girlfriend out and say, here, you know, you got to carry this pocket knife on you in, in case someone attacks you. Dude, if 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 someone comes up and, and can like physically dominate you, and you pull a knife on them, you have to be within arm's length to use that, and uh, you know it's it's just one of those things where it could be taken away from you so easily and used against you, which is true with a gun too. But it also gives you, you know, distance. Yeah. So if if you can create that distance, if you can keep a gap. Um, if you're trained properly how to use it, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's a tool in which it can help women to not have to be afraid to, you know, like <laughs> go places alone. Dude, I, I uh, we've been to Europe quite a few times mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'll never forget my first time in Hamburg, Germany. We went to the red light district and uh just to see you know a bunch of dudes were like oh yeah let's go check it out you know i hear there's girls in the windows and stuff man it is this blocked off alley and from one side to the other you know you walk down it it's just girls hollering and like hey you know walking up to you like grabbing on you being pushy and talking right in your ear and like cat calling you i've never been more uncomfortable in my life wow like walking that little stretch of road. And I remember doing that and thinking every guy should do this at some point in his life. Like just walk this little strip. I'm sure that there are guys that eat that up, but it was a feeling of like, it was a feeling of like helplessness. And I, you know, I felt like this, this is what every girl must feel like every single day of her life is, you know, walking down a street by herself and like just people from every angle yelling at you and you know looking you up and down like they want something from you mm-hmm. and you know for guys it's like guys doing that it's they you know want sex typically and, oh, yeah. and for these girls they were using sex to get money you know and uh it, it doesn't really matter what it was it was like the feeling that it left you with and and um i mean like if they if they wanted to like yeah that alleyway full of girls could have robbed me could have done anything mm-hmm. like seriously anything uh and i just i thought to myself like this has got to be the closest feeling i'll ever have to knowing what it's like to to be a girl walking by herself um and that's that's terrifying man and um yeah so you know, I, I can get off topic pretty no easily. it's no i i completely understand what you're saying. And I think, you know, my wife is, uh, I think the last time you guys met, there was like a 45 minute conversation about hair product. I don't, I was like, Oh, does he use Kevin Murphy? Okay. He must use Kevin Murphy. I'm like, I don't, I, this is above my pay grade or, or something, but, um, you know, she is, um, she's incredibly attractive and, and busty and, and all the things that, uh, you know, that a, you know, the poster child would put up for, you know, sexy glamorous woman you know we went out uh for our anniversary last weekend and we just we were walking down by the lake and there was a, a picnic uh, up there and I, I was walking with her and i'm i'm not really intimidating i mean i'm trying and well you know i'm getting there 
But, <laughs> you know, there was a, a, a guy that, and we were just, you know, looking at rocks and, you know, we're into some weird hippie shit. And, um, you know, a guy called out from this party that was going on, like, you know, what the fuck are you doing walking on the beach with him when you should be like, you know, in a, you know, in a swimsuit issue or, you know, doing Playboy and something like that. And, 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 and she let, you know, she can laugh it off. I've seen her aim. So, um, but I think those, when I think about that situation and not, again, not being the most intimidating, but you know, I'd, I'd take one for her, but her being out in that situation without me or without somebody around her. Um, I think that is what, uh, and she realizes it too. And I think that's what kind of got her into, um, the first time she came home after, you know, going out to the shooting range, like she was like big eyes and big smiles and like, Oh my God, like you could just tell that that moment, you know, that, that couple hours that she spent out, you know, at the shooting range, like kind of changed her, uh, a little bit. Like she felt stronger. She felt like, you know, I'd, you know, if some guy comes up and is going to fuck with me, um, like she did, she's felt, she had a different energy, a different aura about her. And she's gone back out several times. And, um, you know, we're in the process of looking at some different firearms and stuff. Um, so then, you know, next time she went out and, you know, had a multiple target, you know, that she was shooting at and she's just pegging all the, you know, center rings there. And again, I'm going to learn to zigzag just in case I'm the one that pisses her off. But I, every time she goes and shoots a firearm, she comes back with more confidence and she's, and she's first and foremost, a very confident woman. But when she just, you know, feels like now she can be confident and safe at the same time. I mean, that, that says something for what, you know, what kind of empowerment a, a firearm can give not only women, but I think anybody who, who does feel that, you know, in, in, in the world. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people have a a misconception that everyone that, uh, you know, carries a gun, walks around thinking like, Oh, I'm a badass and don't mess with me. And and that's really not the case. I mean, more people do it on a day-to-day basis that you would never know. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. why it's called concealed carry. Most people have no idea how many people around them have guns at any given time. And an armed society keeps people honest. Yeah. It, it really does. I mean, you know, if you compare crime rates in, in uh, you know, places that have, you know, very strict gun laws versus, you know, not as strict, it's... Uh, Anyway, I don't, I don't want to get too far down that yeah, rabbit no, hole, I, I but think, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you know, that your wife has had that experience and it's, you know, I'd encourage her to get more training, like go somewhere mm-hmm. for a course, take a, take a pistol course, take a rifle course, take as many courses as you can, because, uh, there's something that you can pull from every trainer, uh, and, and learning those tactics and those skills helps you figure out how to practice mm-hmm. instead of just like, Oh, I hit a bullseye. I hit another bullseye. Uh, once you get the fundamentals down like that and, and you know how to safely operate and, <clears throat> and you've got a good understanding of how to hit the target and you can execute that, uh, it's time to, to get some tactics mm-hmm. and, and develop your skills a little bit more. And, and like I said, it just shows you different ways to practice and how to implement those skills and, and actually use those. Yeah. You know, you talked about being a guy who likes to tinker around with stuff, obviously, you know, uh, firearms and stuff. Uh, I'm guessing you're 
taking things apart and putting them back together and, and learning the ins and outs of it. I, I know you're the same way with uh, motorcycles and things like that. Are you, is that, you know, is that your relaxation time is when you get a chance to, to get out, you know, into your shed, as you mentioned, and kind of take stuff apart, put it back together. And, you know, is that, is that your moment of Zen? Your Zen time Absolutely. off the road? Yeah. It, if I can go be by myself and work with my hands, I'm in a good mood, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you, you know, there's, there's such a lack of privacy when you're on the road and on tour. And, and we've done it for, for so long with such little break that anytime I, I have time off, you know, the one thing I want to do is be by myself for the mm -hmm. most part. Um, it, and it's, it's not even want, it's need. Like I need to go be by myself. And, and that's the only way that I can kind of, uh, you know, recharge. But yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Do you get out on the road much on those bikes or are you just tinker with them? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Put miles on. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm at home, if, uh, if the roads are clear, I'm out, you know, it doesn't matter what the temperature is, <laughs> you know, I, I go riding in, in the dead of winter, but if the roads are clear, so it's just, uh, yeah, one of those things you have to do. And, and I think the sound of the road, um, the road on a bike and not the road on the road, because that, that can be deafening in, in as many dates as, especially that you guys have done. And, uh, over the last you know, over a decade, um, that noise is tough to kind of shut out. I'm guessing after a long time, not only obviously the performance, but after the show was loud, you know, the bus is loud, you get off and, and sound check is loud. And so, but there's, I think probably a different sense of noise when you have a chance to be out on the open road and just, you know, get some mental clarity at that point after, especially after a long run. Yeah. I, you know, I find the best way to, uh, to clear my mind is to focus on mm -hmm. one thing. So if I've got one task in front of me or, or, you know, even just riding my motorcycle, it's like you get to this point where you're just focused on that one thing that you're doing and everything else falls away. And a cigar aficionado on top of it. I mean, like, I, you know, I talked about in the open, it's when your hobby becomes your job, you just find other things to become your hobbies. How long have you been a, a cigar aficionado? Oh, I don't know about aficionado. I just <laughs> like a bunch. Um, yeah, I've always smoked cigars, but it really picked up, uh, you know, once I quit drinking, mm -hmm. like, you know, swapping one vice for another. And, and uh, you know, I go in and out of stuff too. It's like, I'll, I, I go through really heavy cigar phases where I'm smoking, you know, five or six a day to, uh, you know, then I'll, I'll get into, um, you know, sweets. Like I got a big sweet tooth. Um, yeah, it's, it's always getting replaced by different things. <laughs> it's not one thing. It's another, I know, I know how exactly. that goes. And do you have, you know, I, I had a couple of friends and, and I, I, I dabble a little bit, um, uh, but I, I have friends that are, they're very specific about, about their cigars. Like I've brought in some over, um, Wade Asher, who's the, the, uh, promoter at, at Rockfest over in Kadat, which you guys have been to a couple of times, big cigar guy built his own house and has a cigar room. It's almost like a castle tower. It's ventilated. He's built his own humidor and his, you know, fancy dancy, uh, area. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. I, I so I'm going to go over there and just like hang out in that room and just absorb. Um, but he, you know, he'll go down and, and he'll, he only gets specific, you know, kinds of cigars. And, you know, he's like, I, one time he gave me one, he's like, no, I'll clip that for you. Hang on. Let, you know, he's, he's very particular about it. Do you, are you the same way? Or are you kind of like, man, thanks. I'll take this. 
Um, a little bit of both. Like I really enjoy the process. That's part of it is, you know, like it, it, you know, I've been smoking one the whole time we've been talking here and, uh, it gives me an excuse to walk away from whatever I'm doing for a while and slow down. Um, well, there's a little mouse. Sorry, I got distracted. (laughs) It happens to me all the time. Hello, friend. Um, He also, he also wants to be on the show. What can I say? Yeah. Hey, what's up, dude? What's your name? I don't know where you went. Um, Mickey. Mickey. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, for me, it's like pizza. Like, there are definitely brands that I prefer and and stuff that, like, if I'm going to go out and pick one for myself, like, stuff I prefer to smoke. Uh, But because I smoke so many, like, if if some come my way that aren't necessarily my favorite, I'll still smoke them. Because I'm guessing, you know, at meet and greets or when you do have a chance to meet fans they know you're you know you enjoy a cigar they're probably going hey look we got you some of these i get i used to get that a lot yeah. uh, i still get a handful of people that bring them to me i think I, when i started my charity i made some yeah. kind of like announcement um you know and this is years ago where i said you know like you know you guys don't have to bring me cigars uh you know i, I could i can buy my own it's all good if you want to do something you know, just make a donation to the charity instead. That's like something that could actually use the money being spent. And um, so then I, I noticed a significant decrease in the amount of cigars that I was getting <laughs> um, with no noticeable increase in donations. Like, wait a minute. Like I, what I <laughs> but, meant to say was. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's still people that bring them out to me and I'm, I'm always thankful. You know, it's, yeah. it's a really nice treat. Uh, tell me about, I mean, we've talked about the charity um, kind of on and off in, in little blips here, but talking about star treatments, uh, kind of how it got started um, and, and where it's at today. I know you've, you've been doing some amazing things and continue to do amazing things uh, with this. Um, so how how it started and kind of where it's at right now? Super grassroots, man. Right. So um, it started, I guess, coming up on five years ago mm-hmm. and what we do is we transport kids like to and from hospitals. So if they're sick, you know, a lot of kids that we deal with are, are cancer patients, but, um, you know, any kind of illness that requires them to go back and forth to the hospital a lot, uh, will help out. And we send like a VIP type transportation to their house to pick them up and take them to the hospital and back. So, uh, whether it's a limo or a tour bus or a sprinter van, um, we do that and then we get it decked out with like, you know, whatever the kid's into. So snacks and drinks and stuff like that. And, you know, if they've got a a particular artist that they really like, there's this one little girl we were working with and she loved John five. So John five made a video for her, like playing her a song. And, uh, you know, she made him a video back and then he sent her a bunch of goodies and, and stuff like that. So, the whole idea is to give them like the star treatment on the way to getting their treatments done. If it's chemo treatment or whatever. Um, but with that, you know, there are also a lot of families that have to fly into different places for treatments. So like we'll pick them up from their house, drive them to the airport, whatever city they're flying into, meet them at that airport, pick them up, get them back and forth. And, uh, you know, it not only saves the family, money and you know if they don't have reliable transportation and having to rent a car or you know gas money and things like that but you also have a professional driver and it's comfortable Mm and and um you know when your kid is afraid going to the hospital 
you can be in the back with them and you know there are a lot of fun distractions and and things to put them in a, in better spirits so when they show up to the hospital they're in a good mood you know and and ready to for their body to receive that treatment um versus being completely petrified yeah I mean, it's an incredible uh, organization, and, and the work that you continue to do is just—I mean, it's inspiring. And I'm, and I'm, I'm guessing the support that you get, you know, in, in the network of, of artists that, that that you know, and even outside of that, um, God, it, it just—it's it got that feel good. Like you're at a point where you can, with all the things you have going on, and there's a ton. You know, this is the one thing you can kind of go, you know, damn, that's important. I mean, this is like. You know, it's life changing for somebody because imagine that that feeling of uh, a child and the parents. I mean, it's, you know, the cohesive family unit that has to go in and do these things. And, you know, sometimes the kids are are stronger than the parents. I've, I've witnessed that firsthand where, you know, a kid can be the bravest knight on the on the field. And, uh, you know, it's the parents are the ones that struggle. So I think seeing yes. that they're, you know, when their kids are you know, in a, a, a happy place or a, a starstruck place or just that smile on their face can also put the parents at ease. That's got to be just, I mean, feeling for you. Absolutely. You know, it, and, you know, there there's so many aspects to uh, those situations, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the statistics are like, you know, 80-something percent of, of families that have a sick child like that end up filing for bankruptcy at some mm-hmm. point. Um, and we can't take care of everything. You know, we can't take care of everyone's medical bills and we can't, you know, do this and that. And, uh, but, you know, we're doing our part and it's, it's something that I've found has been overlooked. Um, it's something that's close to me because of the way that we travel. And I've, you know, looked at it initially as like, well, if we get to travel on these fancy tour buses and stuff, like why not these kids that actually you know, really deserve it? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's one small piece of the puzzle, but I, I think um, a pretty important piece of the puzzle that no one has, has really addressed before. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's been really cool. It's been really um, challenging and really rewarding. Um, you know, I don't I don't take a dime from it. No one on our, our board of directors or our volunteers, no one gets paid to do it. It's all strictly volunteer. Uh so, you know, it leaves 100% of the proceeds to go actually towards, you know, what it's meant for. Um, and actually, this has probably been the most challenging year because, it, you know, word of mouth has spread and, and uh, we've gotten to the point where we actually have a waiting list now. We, you know, before we had never had to turn away a family. Um, and we're still, you know, helping families month to month. Um, but, it, you know, we sort of outgrew our funding and uh, we did a, a lot of fundraising stuff, you know, our, our first couple of years with minimal families on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, not because we wouldn't take them, it's just, you know, people were slowly finding out about it. And, uh, you know, to put it, put it in perspective, like the first quarter of this year, I think we did like $68,000 worth wow. of rides, you know, and uh, really just used up a ton of that funding that we had accumulated over the years and you know we're trying to figure out better ways to uh, to really you know do some interesting fundraising and stuff like that if uh if listeners of this podcast uh, or sponsors want to get involved what is the best way for them to uh to reach out to the organization 
startreatments.org. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you can go to the website. Everything's there. There's a page to donate. There's a contact page. You can send an email directly to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's something related to the charity, I'll get back to you, of course. And, um, yeah, we encourage people to get involved in any way that they can, any way that they want to. Yeah, and I, I was inspired when I first heard about it. I think it was probably uh, the early phases because I think 2015 you guys were up uh, and did a show up here. So we we had kind of started talking about it at that point. Um, but and my son, I think, would have been four at the time, um, and now he's nine. And so any and a nine year old, uh, they're starting to get into that. Um, phase i think they call it especially the boy phase where sometimes he's an asshole and i'm like oh but i think um knowing families and and being involved with different organizations in, in my career um that have families going through this kind of uh you know through medical treatments and, and cancer and, and things of the nature um all of that really puts things into perspective you know when uh the little things that that can irk me or irk my wife that our kid does and 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 you know, obviously trying to understand this is all part of the growing up process. And I'm sure I was no saint when I was growing up. Um, but when you think about what those families have to go through, um, mm-hmm. uh, on a day-to-day basis where it's, it's tough to have a, a full-time job. It is, it's tough to, um, you know, for in-home care and, and, and things that you're taking care of with, tr- with transportation and, and moments where you can put smiles on people's faces. It's, it's those, it's that type of stuff that my wife and I will take a step back and go, He's healthy. Um, he may be a little bit of a jerk, but you know, we we, we look at those situations and, and 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 are grateful for for what we have. And I think that gives us, you know, the the motivation to to help when we can. You know, to help either monetarily or you know, volunteer time, um, because it is a, it is so important. And you mentioned overlooked. I think. Um, I think of all the things that are out there, everything you can donate to, you know, watch TV for an hour and you'll find five or six different people that are throwing, you know, ways for you to be involved. Um, of course. At our very nature of, of being humans and uh, taking care of, you know, the elderly at the at the far end, but, you know, kids growing up that these medical bills and these, it, it, it's just, it's astronomical, you know, what they have to deal with. And, we won't get into insurance companies and and that whole you know disaster, but um, to know that there's there's people out there like you and other organizations that are are really trying to at least try to, I mean these are kids, you know, yep. give them a moment, give them a moment to go. That was really fucking cool, and and that's one of those things that they will hold on to, and even when they're going through those treatments, they can use that memory or use that moment as. Wow, that that may be the one thing that gets them through that day's treatment. It's it's just, it's inspiring what you're doing, man. For real. Well, thank, you. thank you, man. Um, you know, and and not all the stories have have ended well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's been the flip side of it too. Is is you know, I've had those moments, especially early on. I think the first, you know, four families that we helped, um, you know, they ended up you know, losing, losing their battle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of did some self-reflection on that too. And said, you know, like, is, <laughs> had the conversation, like, is this worth it? Am, am I doing anything? Like, am I actually helping? Does this make sense? And, uh, you know, quickly, you know, came out of that and was like, yeah, you know, at least I can, uh, even if, 
if it doesn't, you know, go, even if it doesn't turn out the best for that family mm. in the end, at least we can give them some memories and, and, you know, do something good and helpful while they're still here. And, um, I think really that's the most important part. You know, I, I we're, we're not an organization that can save everyone. You know, we're not, we're not the life savers in this whole process. It's, uh, you know, it's about making a better quality of life and helping to relieve some burden financially and, and, you know, logistically for these families and taking something off their, taking a little bit of that weight off their shoulders. Um, but yeah, you know, it, and you're right. There are a lot of different things that mm. that are out there that people can align themselves with, and you know, to find something that resonates with you and something that you want to contribute to is is a big step. That's kind of why I started this. Was I like, I didn't really see anything out there that I liked mm. where I could say like I donate this much per year, and and um, you know, this is exactly where my money's going. Uh, at least with this, you know, I, I put out a newsletter every month and. We share stories of families that, that we've helped and, you know, you can kind of see the direct impact that it has on people. And, I, you know, I think that our contributors really like that. You know, and most of, most of the people that sign up to uh, to donate to Star Treatments, they just do like a monthly donation of, you know, 10 or 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. It's pulled out just like Netflix every month or something, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you hardly notice it. But, um, but it adds up, you know, and it gives us a, a good baseline to work off of to where we can really make an impact in some families' lives. No, it's awesome, dude. It's, uh, you know, amongst all the things that you're, you got your hands in on, you know, obviously with the band and, and, you know, you're with guns and with Cabot and the things that you're doing with, uh, with motorcycles and cigars and, you know, it, shout out to Maddie Mullins beard oil. I know you're rocking. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're rocking. <laughs> oh my boy. Maddie, Maddie from uh, Memphis Mayfire. We're going to get, you know, I've been trying, you know, I'm, I'm working on this and, 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 but, you know, when I see Matt's beard, you know, then I look at my buddy, Maddie Mullins, Ginger Army leading the way over there, uh, yes, doing good indeed. stuff. But, you know, you got your hands in so many things. Um, and, and obviously you have mental clarity to, to do all these things and to, to really be present in all the things that are going on and, um, and, and find, you know, sanctuary on the road and sanctuary at home and sanctuary, um, on bikes. Um, but, but this is just, you know, to know that you're doing, you know, good, you know, to know that you're, you know, the, the efforts that you're putting forth with the organization, um, is, is creating impact and, and putting smiles on people's faces. You do that on stage. I mean, you know, that's, you get to witness that firsthand, but to know that, uh, in this, you know, dire, a dire straight situation that, you know, you're giving a, a family and a child a moment. Um, it's just, uh, it's cool. It, it you kind of, it, it's almost a full circle thing where you, you kind of have it all, you know, it's all going, man. It's spinning. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really trying. And, and yeah, it came from a place of like always wanting to give back, but not really knowing how. So right. just kind of creating my own way to do that where, you know, the more that I did this band thing, the more that I toured, the more that I'm up on that stage just feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, uh, you know, what's the point in in building up my image and my ego and, you know, gaining all this attention if I don't do something good with it, 
you know, it's just wasted on me. You know, there's no point in just glorifying myself for the sake of, you know, trying to make people think I'm cool. Um, and, um, you know, I'm past that. I, I, you know, I, I, I love performing and stuff like that. Uh, and I leave it on the stage. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, in day to day life, like I don't enjoy being in the spotlight. I'd mm-hmm. rather use that and uh, shine that spotlight on someone else who who deserves the attention and needs the attention. And I think so. you did a great job of that in the uh, the Hook and Barrel article. Um, it talked about you know, a lot of the stuff that we touched on today, but but really brought light to the give back. You know, to the uh, to the efforts of Star Treatments and um, and what it means to you. Uh, just it, it's cool to see that you know even when you do you know, something like a magazine spread or an interview or a podcast or, you know, whatever it is that, 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 that message never gets lost with you. Like it's, it's always something that, you know, you, you want it to be a part of who you are, a part of the fabric of Matt Dorito. And that's, that's, you don't see that much. And I think, you know, having done a handful of these, you know, one-on-one podcasts, having a, a long form conversation with, with some artists, um, and, and doing, you know, how radio interviews are, you know, we got 10 minutes, you know, and then we got to roll. Um, a, a lot of it is self-focus and, you know, it's about the band and it's, it's about, you know, the album and it's about the song and it's, you know, what am I doing? How can you support me? Yeah. Can, you know, like, it's yeah. available on iTunes, you know, download it now. There's which, which again, that's a, that's a part of the machine that makes it run. But when you have an, a, a human such as yourself, that, that, makes an effort to go out and make sure that that part of the fabric is exposed on, on any level, on any platform. I mean, that's the world needs more of you, Matt. They need more. So if you can clone yourself, that'd be great. (laughs) And there are plenty of, plenty of people doing good things out there. Like, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, the guys in three doors down, they have the better life, uh, you know, foundation where they do a concert every year and the proceeds from that, they, give out to different charities and stuff that they, they see fit. Uh, I remember when I was first getting started, you know, I got a, a call from Chris Henderson and he's like, Hey man, I just heard you're, you know, starting this charity. Like, you know, where can I make a donation? So like the better life foundation cut us a check to help us help get us rolling. Cool. It's great. And, uh, you know, people like John five, just taking the time out of his day to, to make a little video for a girl and, and send her a, a goodie basket and stuff like that it's awesome yeah. you know it's it's just there's no point in building yourself up if you can't grab others by the hand and pull them up with you, yeah. you we're, we're all on this rock flying through space together man you know <laughs> you know we're one asteroid away you know we're gonna go down swinging mm-hmm uh, what's, uh, let's quickly, we can wrap up here. Uh, as far as uh, 2019 goes, you mentioned, uh, you know, some tours that you guys get going on with, uh, uh, going out with disturbed and then going out with skillet and, uh, my devour the day friends. Those guys are a blast uh, to hang out with, uh, uh oh, yeah. Blake and, some and of my and oldest Jelly. friends in the business oh, right there. Good dudes, man. They make me laugh every time I see them. And, and, you know, and they did a they did really cool thing they did with their, uh, you know, the story of your life, uh, uh segment that they were doing on their uh, social medias, which was really cool. I mean, intertwining the fabric of how music can, uh, you know, inspire and change lives. And, um, I think you're, you know, a screaming example of that as well. Um, but other Thank than that, friend. 2019, um, what's the rest, what's on the rest of the schedule for you and, uh, and for the band? About it. Some heavy touring, yep. you know, like I said, we've got, uh, the last 
you know, three months of summer-ish, July, August, September, pretty well booked up. I think going into October too a little bit. And um, maybe some new music, you know, later on this year. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll wrap with this because I, I, I always love hearing about the, the process and how it's changed. You have obviously been in, in the industry and in, in music for uh, for quite some time. Um, but it seems like the process has gotten a little bit easier when it comes to new music because you do have technologies and capabilities, you know, when you're out on the road as far as, you know, writing and, you know, putting things down, you know, recording a baseline really quick. And it, it, it seems like it's, there's, has it become a little bit easier to, uh, to get new music out to people than maybe it was when you guys first got started? I mean, it, it still takes us going, going to a studio, mm-hmm. like taking time and, and sitting down and doing it right. But yeah, as far as gathering ideas, I mean, it's as easy as like, Hey, you know, record this real quick on your iPhone. And then, you know, you tuck that little video away in a file and, when it comes time to go to the studio and, and do an album, you've got this whole library of little clips like, oh, remember, remember, uh, you know, soundcheck in Tampa, Florida and pulled out this <laughs> this little riff. Yeah, let's let's revisit that. Let's expand that. Um, so, you know, technology definitely helps a lot. Um, technology is also kind of the reason why, you know, it's uh, the music industry is so oversaturated with mm-hmm. with uh, music right now, which is it's a blessing and a curse sometimes, you know, it's like there's so much as a listener and as a fan of music, which I am at the mm-hmm. end of, at, at the end of the day to go out and find stuff, um, find new stuff. But, uh, it's also that much harder to, to stand out, you know, you know, luckily we've, we've created a good foundation to be able to launch new stuff out on. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny cause every record cycle, it's different. Yep. You know, our entire approach to, the songwriting and how we do it and the time that we spend and, and what studios, you know, used to be like, man, you, you really have to dump a, a ton of money into the right producer and the right studio and all this. And, and now it's more focused on like, well, let's see what the band can do on their own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe we don't need to pay all this money for, for this name yeah. producer and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't think in my uh, illustrious uh, musical uh, enjoyment life ever bought a record based on who the producer was. I don't think I ever have. Like there oh, are people that do that, I, you know. There, there I'm are not some one of them. That, you know, they'll say, "Oh, yeah, the the new so and so album. Who produced it?" You know, and, and that's a big part of hmm. why they're drawn to to something or not. You know, I'm not I'm not that way either. No. So I'm right there with you, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting, you know, a lot of things are changing and, and uh, we're always adapting and trying to figure out what's best for us. So, Awesome. Matt Dorito, he's got life by the balls, he does, and a cigar in his hand. <laughs> really appreciate the time, brother. It means a lot no, to me. I, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's always good to uh, get the chance to catch up and stuff, and we'll have to do a, a range day when I see you next. Yeah, whenever you're uh, in this neck of the woods or, you know, <laughs> my schedule's pretty clear these days. Uh, Again, I'm going to learn to zigzag, and I'll be fine. Really yeah. appreciate it, man. Uh, startreatments.org is the website. We'll get that up on uh, welcometocooperville.com and all of our socials. Uh, help spread the word on that. Um, you're doing amazing things. Uh, full circle, man. Really appreciate the time and, uh, and the stories. It's great to catch Thank up. You. Thanks for having me on, man. Be well. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.